Hello, and welcome back to Shockingly Wicked, a true crime podcast where we bring you true crime cases from the headlines to the hometowns. I'm Brianna. I'm Brittany. And we are your hosts for the evening. What were you whispering <laughs> just now? I was just mouthing you. <laughs> oh, okay. I was just like, you're saying something and I cannot hear you, so I hope it's not important, but you and your, your mimicking... Well, they do say imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. I don't know if I believe that, though. I knew you were going to say that. Yeah, I mean, that's what everybody says. So I'm not original. It's fine. So today's episode is a little bit different. I know you are, but what am I? Oh, my God. What are we, like five? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, you were five not that long ago. So I guess that makes sense. Tonight I thought you walked to school uphill both ways in the snow without <laughs> shoes. <laughs> I'm not that old. I took the school bus like a normal person. That's what they all say. (laughs) So today, our episode is a little different than usual. We've been doing a lot of like heavier cases the last couple of weeks. So we wanted to give you somewhat of a palate cleanser. We were reached out to by the publicist, right, of Kathy Reichs, the author of the Bones series. You've probably heard of bones if you've not like even if you haven't read it because it became a tv show on fox it was one of the longest running tv shows out there it's not svu don't worry (laughs) no it's not svu i like bones but svu will always hold a special place in my heart Yes, and SVU is still going, whereas Bones is not. But I really, really liked Bones when it came out. I watched it a lot. So Bones was one of those weekday shows that you would go and like actually like sit around the TV as it's like on live. Like DVR was starting to become a thing, but it was it was just one of those. Yeah, I feel like that was Castle for me. Yeah, I liked Castle as well. That was another one for me. Bones, if you don't know, has. The angel from... No, not the angel. His name was Angel and Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yes, he was a vampire named Angel. (laughs) Yeah, but he goes bad there for a little... Yeah, at one point, yeah. So yeah, it has David Boreanaz and... What is her name? Emily Deschanel. They are the main characters. Zoe Deschanel's sister... Yes. From New Girl. They they look very, very similar if you like put a picture of them side by side. I mean, that's the case with most siblings anyway uh (laughs) it's fine i'm tired so if you didn't know the bones television series was actually adapted from a novel series which kathy reichs wrote starring temperance brennan as the main character and this is a very long series she just released her 21st book in the series which is called cold cold bones which is very impressive, especially considering I've been planning the same novel since senior year of high school, and I'm maybe like five chapters in. So like, that's very impressive. One time I wrote One Direction fan fiction. Well, I feel like everybody wrote some One Direction fan fiction, myself included. I actually wrote the Vampire Diaries fan fiction too, but <laughs> it was like two Wait. chapters. <laughs> That was it. That's fine. Yeah, I it was also like, thirteen. A long, long time ago, I did like anime fan fiction, and then I did Harry Potter fan fiction. I did One Direction fan fiction. Oh my God. Harry Potter. It was. I know that was back when I was obsessed with it. But yeah, I used to be able to write so much more, and so like just the fact that she was been able to write all of these books. She's already working on the next book in the series. She mentions that during the interview. But yeah, we were reached out, like the publicist reached out to us, asked if we would like to interview her. And (laughs) 
Why are you holding a naked body? This is actually Kim Kardashian's body. It's her perfume. Oh. I okay. got it four years ago. I've not used it all because it's not that good. Tragic. Sorry, Kim, if you're listening. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> yeah, so she's already working on the next one in the series. But their publicist reached out to us, asked if we'd like to interview her as part of like the book tour following the release. And so we had a missed connection at first, <laughs> which was unfortunate because I guess the publicist doesn't work on the weekend. And so the interview was originally going to be on the weekend. And then last minute, there was something that came up time wise. And so we weren't able to do the interview, but we didn't know that. So we were able to thankfully connect again. Britt was working, so it was just me doing the interview, but we're going to tell you just a little bit about the book and tell you a little bit about Kathy as well before we get into the interview. But like I said, this is the 21st one in the series, so you don't need to read the rest of the books in order to understand this one because I haven't actually read the books before, but I'm sure it does help because especially in this one, the killer that's involved in this is a copycat and he's copying some of her past like cases that she's worked on with his victims. So you don't necessarily need to read the other books, but it could help. But yeah, it was it was interesting, even though I hadn't read any of the other ones, being able to see it as it unfolds. I don't know. There's something about a mystery book that is always intriguing to me. And then there's also a side plot that involves Tempe and her daughter, who is experiencing symptoms of PTSD after being home from the military. And so they touch on that as well. But we're going to tell you a little bit about Kathy herself now. So, Britt. So Kathy's first novel, Deja Dead, catapulted her fame when it became a New York Times bestseller and won the 1997 Ellis Award for Best First Novel, which is so cool. Dang, that is really cool. So... Dr. Reichs was also a producer on the hit Fox TV series Bones, which is based on her work and her novels. But from teaching FBI agents how to detect and recover human remains to separating and identifying body parts in the Montreal lab as a forensic anthropologist, Kathy Reichs has brought her own dramatic work experience to her mesmerizing forensic thrillers. And for years, she consulted to the office of the chief medical examiner in North Carolina and... Uh, to the lab, I don't know. I'm, I'm not even <laughs> the Laboratoire de Sciences Judiciaires et de Medicine Legale for the province of Quebec. I probably butchered that. I'm sorry. I was not prepared for French today. Well, that better than me. Dr. Reichs has also <laughs> traveled to Rwanda to testify at the UN Tribunal on Genocide and helped exhume a mass grave in Guatemala as part of her work at JPAC formerly C-I-L-H-I, and she aided in the identification of war dead from World War II, Korea, and Southeast Asia. And she also assisted in the recovery of remains at the World Trade Center following 9-11 terrorist attacks. She's the one of only 100 forensic anthropologists ever certified by the American Board of Forensic Anthropology, and she served on the board of directors and as vice president of both the American Academy of Forensic Sciences and the American Board of Forensic Anthropology and is currently a member of the National Police Services Advisory Council in Canada. She is a professor in the Department of Anthropology at the University of North Carolina, Charlotte, and she's a native of Chicago, and that's actually where she got her PhD, which was at Northwestern, and she now divides her time between Charlotte, North Carolina, and Montreal, Quebec. And I think she mentions in the interview, she's taken a step back, I believe, from teaching. So she's primarily writing now, which is pretty cool. I wish I could 
make my living off of just doing the one thing that I love doing. But alas, we live in a capitalist hellscape. Yeah, and she's has spoken at the White House, Smithsonian Institute, National Association of Women Judges, American College of Trial Attorneys, Mecklenburg Medical Association, Mecklenburg County Bar Association, Canadian Bar Association, Quebec Teachers Association, <laughs> Montreal Science Museum, Charlotte's Nature Museum, International Association of Science Journalists, International Association of Forensic Correspondence, Cape Fear Crime Festival, Southern Voice Literary Festival, and North Carolina Bar Association. There was a gnat and it just flew in my nose. That's not great. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, my God. But as you can tell, she's a very accomplished woman. Busy woman. Very busy woman. She's got a lot going on. There's a lot more information on her website, which is kathyreichs.com. We'll add that in our show notes. Which is where I got all this information from. So, without further ado, here's the interview with Kathy Rex. Take it away! Could you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what it is that you do? I am Kathy Rex. I am the author of the Temperance Brennan Bones series of forensic thrillers. Very cool. And so that is what the television show that was on Fox was based off of. Is that correct? That is correct. Yes. I used to watch that a lot when I was younger, when it was on air, and it was one of my favorite shows. So when we got the opportunity to interview you, I was like, absolutely. (laughs) Good. Thank you. I saw also that you yourself were a forensic anthropologist. That is correct. I have pretty much retired from casework, but I did that for more years than I'm going to admit. (laughs) So a lot of the temperance stories are based on actual events and okay situations in which I was. So what exactly does that job entail for those people who aren't aware of what forensic anthropology is? We're physical anthropologists trained in the human skeleton, but also trained in techniques of death investigation. We work for medical examiners and coroners. We work for the military. We're involved in human rights recoveries. We're involved in recoveries following mass disasters. Anytime a body is compromised so that a pathologist can't do a normal autopsy because it's decomposed or burned or mutilated or mummified or dismembered, or maybe it's just bones, then they call in the forensic anthropologist. And we tease from the skeleton what information we can. It might be identity, or it might have to do with manner of death, with sharp instrument, blunt instrument, strangulation, figuring out gunshot wounds, what happened to the deceased. So in a way, you guys are also like detectives, but in the physical sense. Yeah, we work with detectives, but we are forensic scientists. And as an anthropologist, I'd be one member of a team. And everything we work on isn't criminal. You know, an old person might have walked into the woods and died, and two years later, their bones are found. So not everything is a criminal case. But if it is, we work with the investigating officer and we work with other forensic scientists. Maybe you need a forensic dentist. Maybe you need someone who specializes in hair and fibers, whatever. And then at the end, should it be a criminal case and should there be someone, you know, brought to trial, then we will also testify in court as to our findings. Do you have any favorite memories associated with that work that you did? 
Oh my goodness, there are so many. <laughs> I can tell you my least favorite memories working at Ground Zero were testifying in court has never been one of my favorite activities. I can imagine. <laughs> How about as an author? What was that transition like for you from forensic anthropology to full-time author? That took a while to go to full-time author because when I started the first book, I was still teaching full-time at the University of North Carolina in Charlotte. And I was commuting between Quebec, where I did all the forensic anthropology for the main crime and medical legal lab, and North Carolina. So I was writing the book, squeezing it in between doing those aspects of my career. Writing the first book took two years because I would write early in the morning before going onto campus. I would write on weekends. I would write in the summers, etc. I became a full-time writer just a couple of years ago. Have I, I've, I haven't taught university for a while, but I was doing casework up until a couple of years ago. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about your newest book, Cold, Cold Bones? Yeah, Cold, Cold Bones. It's one of my favorite opening lines. The first line of the book is, it began with an eyeball. And that's how it begins. Tempe <laughs> is helping her daughter, Katie, move into a new home in Charlotte, North Carolina. And she's thrilled about that, first of all, because Katie has retired from the military. And second of all, because she's chosen to live you know, right nearby. So they spend all day emptying boxes and finally knock off and go back to Tempe's house. And they find a box, last thing they want to see, on the porch. And inside the box is a human eyeball. So it turns out Katie has extraordinarily good vision and with a magnifier, she's able to see that the eyeball has etched on the sides into the sclera GPS coordinates. So of course our intrepid heroine must follow those. The next day they lead her to a Benedictine monastery where I'll just say she makes another grisly discovery. Then not too long after that, her boss, the medical examiner, sends her to recover a body from a state park. It's a mummified corpse hanging from a tree. It's an apparent suicide. I've had cases of that nature. And they seem to be completely random, nothing to link these cases together. But something is nagging at Tempe that, that there's a connection. Anyway, eventually she figures out there's someone out there a copycat killer who is mimicking earlier cases from her career. So she has to figure out who this is, why they're doing it, and shut it down. <laughs> That's the storyline in a nutshell. When I was reading it, just the way the story unfolded, it was very fascinating. And her piecing together that this was a copycat killer, like that was a twist I wasn't expecting personally. <laughs> good, good. That's my job as a thriller writer is to surprise the reader. It's very true. So you said that the inspiration behind the series as a whole was your work in forensic anthropology. For this specific book, were these cases similar to ones that you had worked in the past? Some of these are. Some of these are made up based on similar things that I had done or cases colleagues had worked on. When I began to write this book, I thought it would be fun for my return readers if I drew upon earlier books in the series so that they could not only try to solve the mystery of what was this revenge and who was doing it. And that's what thriller readers like to do. They like to solve the mystery before the author tells them, take all the clues and put it together yourself. So they could not only do that, but they could also solve the puzzle of well, which of the earlier books am I using 
which of those cases, those books, am I drawing into this book? So I thought that would be fun for my return readers to puzzle through, but also it would give new readers a glimpse into what the series is is about. Yeah, absolutely. And so how much generally do you say that your experiences translate into your writing? Is it like 50% or just... Oh, God. <laughs> That's hard to break down because it isn't just the forensic end of it. As with any writer, I think, you're maybe not science fiction, but your <laughs> personal experiences do filter in. You know, if I, the next book I'm writing called The Bone Hacker, number 22... My daughter and I took a trip to the Turks and Caicos Islands earlier this year. So I thought this is a great setting. So that book will be set. The setting will be the Turks and Caicos Islands. So, you know, it's everything that you do that you and I consulted for years to the Central Identification Laboratory for the U.S. military in Hawaii. So Spider Bones is based on those experiences and is set in Hawaii. A few years ago, I went on a USO tour to Afghanistan just to thank our troops for their service there. So Bones Never Lie is based on my experience. You know, I went to Afghanistan, so my character went to Afghanistan. How do you feel like Dr. Brennan has changed throughout the series, like character development wise? Well, she's gotten older, although not a lot older. That's one of the issues any writer of a continuing character series has to address. What do you do about aging your character? And it's legitimate to not age them, just have them frozen in time. Some authors have chosen to do that. It's legitimate to age them in real time. Some thriller writers have done that. I've kind of done a compromise. I don't talk about her age very much. In the first book, she was something just north of 40. Now she's Further north of 40, obviously, and her daughter has spent eight years in the military, so she's aged, but I ha- I don't really go into that a lot. I let the reader kind of figure that one out for themselves. Now, the cat must be 50 by yeah. now. <laughs> so do you have a favorite recurring character other than Tempe? It's got to be Skinny. <laughs> Slidell. She works with Andrew Ryan more on the Montreal end of her, her practice. But in the Carolinas, in Charlotte, she works with Erskine Skinny Slidell. And Slidell's a great character. He's gruff and he's got this kind of gallows humor. And I like to put humor into the books, but they deal with violent death. So you have to really be delicate in doing that. Real balancing act. So the way I do it tends to be through dialogue and the dialogue between the sparring between Skinny and Tempe is is a great opportunity for humor. Yeah, and I completely get that because that's a similar look to how we do with our podcast as we try to infuse some humor because we are talking about very difficult subjects, but not at the expense of the victim, any sort of thing like that. So it's definitely a difficult balance there. And we did that with the TV show as well. They coined a term for us. They called us a crimity. <laughs> crimity. Where you put the humor in and how you handle it is, you must be skilled at that. Absolutely. And that actually brings me to my next question. I know, I know. We won't keep you sitting on the edge of your seat too long. We will get right back to that after a quick word about our sponsors. Sponsors. 
our next partner has a product I use literally every day. I started taking AG1 because I wanted to see what the hype was all about and it didn't really taste super healthy. It kind of has a mild tropical taste that I actually look forward to taking every morning. With one delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day off right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging. All the things. In 2020, AG purchased carbon credits that support projects protecting old growth rainforests. So you're investing in an all-in-one nutritional insurance. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day, and that's it. No need for a million different little pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com emerging. Again, that's athleticgreens.com emerging to take ownership of your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. We're super excited to share our newest collaboration with you all. Violet and Suds is a neurodivergent and LGBTQ-owned small business that started in October of 2012. They create all kinds of products with various themes from bath and soap products, candles, stickers and stationery, and jewelry and accessories. All products are carefully handcrafted and recipes are hypoallergenic, vegan, cruelty-free, and all-natural. 10% of their monthly profit is donated to the Tiny Paws Kitten Shelter, so you can look forward to your self-care routine and know your money is going to a good cause. You can use our exclusive code WICKED20 to get a discount of 20% off your whole order. Again, that code is WICKED20. So head on over to violetandsuds.com and use that code at checkout. We'll see you there. What was it like having your books be the inspiration for Bones? Because it ran for 12 seasons, it became this prolific thing on its own, too. We were the longest running, we are still the longest running scripted drama in the history of Fox, which is now Disney. But <laughs> I loved it. I'm not one of these authors who's going to whine that they took my art and they you know, destroyed it. I had a great experience. I was very careful going in to whom I agreed to option my character. I'd had other offers and they just weren't right. But when I met with Hart Hansen and Barry Josephson, we were just really on the same page about we wanted a character-based show. We didn't want to just do another police procedural. We wanted to create characters that viewers would become invested in and care about. And and we wanted to put humor in the show. So we were just at the same place about that. So And they wanted my input. That was an important part, too. They genuinely welcomed my input. I didn't have control, but I had input. So I worked as a producer, and eventually I began writing episodes. So I had I had a great experience. I'd, I'd do it again with them. <laughs> you mentioned that you're a producer. Did you have a hand in like the casting process at all? Because you said that they wanted your input. David was with the project from the beginning. So David was cast. The, the one that was hard to cast in the last one cast was the Temperance Brennan character. But when people saw Emily Reed with David, it was everyone right away said, yeah, that's our, that's our temperance Brennan. I mainly worked as a producer. I mainly worked with the writers. I read every one of the 246 scripts. I could do that because I was 
on the East Coast, and we filmed on the West Coast in L.A., but I could read them remotely and give notes, <laughs> and primarily with regard to the science, because I was fully aware that the writers knew more about writing TV screenplays than I did. So I yielded to their expertise on that, but I would give input on the science parts of it. Yeah. And that's absolutely important because script writing is definitely different than manuscript writing. And then some people are more skilled in certain areas. And especially with the science translating to television, I know a lot of people assume that it's going to take a shorter amount of time because it happens in a hour long episode versus how long it might take in real life. Oh, absolutely. Plus everything gets solved. Yes, that too. And in the books. Yes. (laughs) But I feel like that's more cathartic knowing that the case is closed. And so you're not holding on to that long after the book. So what are some of the primary differences between the books and the show? Well, the character on the show is younger, taller. (laughs) She's in DC at the Jeffersonian. Her personality is different. She's not as polished or worldly as the Temperance Brennan in the books. She's quite awkward initially. But I think if you watched back to back all 12 seasons, all 246 episodes, you'd be just amazed at what Emily did with that character and how she evolved that character over time. So I guess going back to your work personally as a forensic anthropologist, have you worked on any big cases that we might have heard about? I know that There's some things that might not be able to be talked about, but is there one that you worked on that might have gotten national media attention? Well, I I worked at the Twin Towers at 9-11. I was deployed there and spent what seemed like a very long time just digging through rubble and debris and recovering, identifying what frag, because it was so fragmentary, you know, determining what was human. And then each day they would come. I worked mainly out at Staten Island where everything was being taken. And then we would determine if it was human. And then the Emmy van would come and take it away each day for future DNA testing. What was that experience like overall? That was psychologically and physically very hard. And we worked 13-hour shifts. It was, you know, physically we're out there in hazmat suits and breathing apparatus. Yeah, that that definitely sounds like it would be tough. Not only like the emotional impact of having to do the work. We were lucky too, because everybody wanted to do something. Everyone was fragile in the country. Everybody wanted to donate shoes or blood or money or whatever. And we were actually able to physically get out there and help with that. So in a way that was good. That's very true. I think I saw mention that you worked on the Casey Anthony case. Is that also true? I did. I got annoyed that all I did was I went to the site and I analyzed the little skeleton. I don't remember if I testified in that case or not, but I did work. Yeah, I did examine those bones. Because I remembered seeing that. So I was wondering how involved you were in that process, because that's obviously a case that a lot of people are also familiar with. Got a lot of attention it did. That's for sure. No winners in that one. No, absolutely not. I think that's most of the questions that I had for you. Is there anything specific about the book that you would like to talk about before we wrap up? Well, I hope people enjoy it. And as I said, it's basically about revenge 
book about revenge and who is that out there seeking revenge and why are they doing it in the way that they're doing it by mimicking earlier cases. And then as it closes in closer and closer to Tempe, you know, and the odds, the stakes are raised. And also the book has to do with, Katie has just come back from the military from eight years and two deployments in Afghanistan. And she is very prickly. She's very unpredictable. And at times she's good old happy Katie. And at times she's just very difficult to be with. So Tempe comes to realize that she's probably suffering from PTSD. So the book also shines some light on the issue of veterans who have come home, homeless veterans, especially where Katie's interests lie. Yeah. So it takes a look at that arena, as we would call it. Is that going to be touched on more in the next book that you're working on, the PTSD side of it? Not as much. The next book is called The Bone Hacker. And what can I tell you about it? It's set for Fruits <laughs> and Caicos. As the title would suggest, it has to do with cybercrime. I'm always looking for something that's going to be a, an issue down the road with The Bone Code, for example, which I began writing in 2018, way before COVID. Yeah. But I used <laughs> the idea, two ideas. One was, what if there was this flare-up of this flesh-eating disease? And what if someone took the methodology for extracting and analyzing? We now know the human genome and we know how to modify it. What if someone took that and used it for nefarious purposes? So I'm always looking for some issue that's going to be of interest in the future. So cybercrime is what I'm going to look at with the bone hacker. And then also young tourists begin going missing in the Turks and Caicos and bodies are found with their hands hacked off. So kind of a double play on words in the title there. And that'll be out the summer of 2023. Okay. Well, I'm looking forward to that. Where can our listeners find a copy of your book, Cold Cold Bones? Anywhere books are sold, I always encourage people to go to the independent bookstores, but it's also at Barnes & Noble, or they can go to my website, kathyreichs.com, and there are links there to places they can buy any of the books. Audiobooks, ebooks, big print books, you name it. Yes, all of the kinds. And where can they find you on social media? I know that you have an Instagram, but do you also have Twitter, Facebook? At Kathy Reichs, I think, on Twitter and I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. I'm on all of them, I guess. <laughs> that makes yeah. sense. All right. Well, we will include that information down in the show notes for those who are interested in following up with you and keeping up with you as you go towards publishing your 22nd book. That's an incredible feat, by the way. That's a lot of books. Thank you. There's lots of information on my Facebook page for students. I'm often asked by students looking for university or undergraduates looking for graduate programs. There's lots of information. Or if you're just interested in forensic anthropology, there's a whole section on that. Okay, very cool. I'll definitely check that out because I know I'd like to learn more about it in that realm of things. Okay, there you go. Well, thank you so much again for taking the time to sit with us and interview and answer some questions. Again, if you would like a copy of Cold Code Bones, you can get that pretty much anywhere you can buy books. Highly recommend going through independent bookstores. And again, thank you so much to Kathy for sitting with us and for writing such a good book. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. And I hope you have a great time with the writing process of your next book. 
Thank you. So do I. (laughs) (laughs) What a great interview. Why, thank you. I did my best. You did great. It's a little bit awkward when you do an interview and like you're the only person asking questions, you know? It's like, no, I don't don't know know how to do that. (laughs) (laughs) You've done it twice now. Yeah, I have. But I mean, the first one, I at least knew the guy. So like, it was a little bit easier because I knew Dr. McClintock personally, like we have known each other for years. So that was different because this is a famous author where I was like, oh, wow, I don't know. Like, I don't want to make a fool out of myself, you know? And so, yeah, it was an interesting experience. I liked getting to hear her tell her firsthand account of, for example, her work at the Ground Zero on 9-11 and like following that and as a writer myself hearing like kind of the writing process and like talking about the characters and whatnot that was very interesting for me so cold cold bones is out for everybody to get from any kind of bookstore you can probably get it i think in an audiobook form as well if that is your thing it is not for me i like to have my kindles so i can read in bed i don't know it's just something about holding a book or a kindle you're not even holding a book listen i said or a kindle (laughs) so something about holding a book shut up as you hold a kindle (laughs) i literally i have physical books too my bookshelf is actually overflowing so (laughs) thanks listen that just means that i spend way too much money on books brie is the youngest in her family (laughs) no i'm not i'm the middle child brie is the youngest in her family no brie is the middle child of her family but i'm (laughs) my brother is the youngest the younger (laughs) sister she never wanted (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I am literally so, the younger sister you never wanted. <laughs> well, listen, you're in my life now, and I just got to deal with it. So. <laughs> and you're never getting rid of me. Oh, no. Well, you can go to kathyreichs.com and get some more information about where you can find the books. Always support independent bookstores if you're able to. And then keep an eye out for, you know, the sequel, which she mentioned the name in the interview. So keep an eye out for it if you are interested i will probably go back and maybe read from the beginning who knows depends on i have a very long backlist of books that i need to get to well that's everything <laughs> so you can find us on social media we are on instagram at shockingly wicked podcast we are on twitter at wicked podcast one we are on facebook at shockingly wicked podcast we are on tiktok at shockingly wicked and you can find us at shockinglywicked.com or shockinglywickedpodcast.com. It's going to send you to the same place. Our Patreon is also Shockingly Wicked Podcast. And we have three tiers. We are, you know, sharing some bonus material, bonus episodes. This was originally going to be a bonus episode, but, you know, such is life. You get free sticker packs. I'm very excited to get these new sticker designs printed and sent out to our current patrons shout out to justin and cynthia thank you so much and if you have case suggestions you can send us email at shockingly wicked podcast at gmail.com or you can use the contact form on our website and just pick from the drop down menu thingy there that says case suggestions if you just want to chit chat with us you can also send something through there too but that is all from us for this evening thank you so much for listening we'll see you next week Bye-bye. Goodbye.